Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, church, remember where we left off last week, okay? Jesus' public ministry is coming to a close. We talked about that here in just a second. A lot of things have have begun to unfold. John, as you look at the book of John, he's starting to count the days that Jesus has left in his life. And to you and I, we're like, well, no, he's got another eight chapters to go. But, but John is looking at through the lens, remember, he's looking at, okay, this is how many days the Lord has left to live, right? Now, if you recall, Jesus had just entered into Jerusalem with shouts of praise, and a huge crowd is there. Remember, about two, two and a half million people probably were there for the Passover celebration. So when it says multitude, there's a lot of people that were coming, but there was a lot of people. In your minds, picture Jerusalem, and we'll be there in a few short months. You'll see. I mean, it's just like, this is crazy, two and a half million people. And they're sleeping everywhere, and they're, they're just camping out because they want to be at this feast. And this was, this was the feast. This was the Passover And remember, all of a sudden, this is what's going on. And the people, though, had many different opinions of Jesus, right? A crowd of them were ready to proclaim him as king, right? But but the Lord refused to accept their political role that they wanted him to take. Now, go back with me for just a minute, okay? This would be the lingering question in our mind. This This should be the lingering question. How could a crowd go from praising Jesus, right, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. How could they go from that to a few short days later where they're saying, they're cursing him, right, saying, yelling, crucify, crucify. I don't understand, right? How can you go from, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, you're awesome. I praise you to over here going, I can't believe you did not crucify him. He's an imposter. Well, think about it, guys. I mean, I mean, just think about it. The the people, the great multitude, they had gathered together for something that was like this patriotic parade, kind of the fourth on Broadway for us, if you don't if if you will, right? The fourth of July, right? And now they're laying palm branches at the feet of Jesus, crying out, What are they saving? Well, Hosanna means save now, save now, right? That's what they're saying. God save us now. And 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 so in the back of our minds we're going, Okay, so what does the palm branches mean? Well, remember they were a symbol right, of the Jewish nationalism since way back in the time of the Maccabees. So that was like, this is our king. This is our leader. This is the guy that's going to deliver us from Rome. Hosanna, save now. Praise Blessed be who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is king. And they're, they're doing all of this, right? Now, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. The crowd here looked to Jesus as their political and national savior, not so much their, now think about it, not so much as their spiritual savior. They wanted to make Jesus king and have him rule over Rome, or at least gain their independence. Rome was oppressing them, although with the, with the religious leaders like the Pharisees, they, would, they were letting them do their thing, and so, so the Pharisees were like, Jesus, you're going to mess everything up, and these other people are going, you need to be king, you need a king, we're tired of Rome telling us what to do, I'm tired of paying tribute to Rome, we're trying to, tired of paying taxes to the government, Rome, and, and they could come in in the Roman army and blah, 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 blah you know, and, and, so, and so Jesus comes in and and, but here's the problem, guys. Here's the problem. They didn't understand his, the true purpose of his salvation. They didn't. Uh, let me say that again because I want that to sink deep in your heart. 
the people there did not understand the true purpose of his salvation. Now, I want you to think about this. Here you have a people, just like you and me, wanting, needing to be saved. They were wanting to be set free from the bondage of Rome, wanting independence in life, hoping for this man to be their national savior, and yet they misunderstood what he was all about. Now, just real quick, guys, fast forward in your minds to Revelation and just think about, think about what's going to happen with the Antichrist. There is coming a day in our world where people are going to want and need a savior, a national savior, a world savior. Somebody's going to have to step up and they too will misunderstand his motives. He will want to destroy what's left of the earth and people will be coming to him looking for that savior. That's what people want. They misunderstood what Jesus was all about. And even to this day, they misunder, people misunderstand the glory of Jesus, really, and, and really what the cross was all about, right? The, the cross of Jesus, the cause of Jesus, they, they misunderstood. As a matter of fact, we've heard that the cross created stumbling blocks to both Jews and Gentiles. You see, the cross of Christianity did something very interesting. You go, what's that? It created a series of paradoxes. You go, what do you mean? Well, it said the way up is the way down. In order to keep what we must give, in order to live, we must die. In order to reproduce, we must allow the seed to be buried. Now, those are important, okay? So here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three paradoxes that we'll find in the latter part of these verses. So if you're taking note, we're going to see in verse 24, here's the first one. It's only by death you can gain life. It's only by death you can gain life. And that sounds silly. You're going, how can I live if I'm dead? Well, that's a paradox that the Lord wants to share with us. Number two. It's found in verse 25. It's only by spending life you can retain it. It's only by spending life you can retain it. And of course, the third one is verse 26. It's only by serving that greatness comes. It's only by serving that greatness comes. Now, again, these are paradoxes. Let me give them to you one more time because I know I talk fast and I really want you to get this. In verse 24, it's only by death you can gain life. It's only by spending life you can retain it, and it's only by serving that greatness comes. These are the latter part of what we're going to look at today, okay? Because we're only going to look at verse 20 to 26. Now, the public, of, the public ministry of Jesus, guys, is coming to a close, okay? Chapters 11 and 12, these are coming to a close. The private ministry of Jesus to his personal disciples is approaching fast. We're going to see that in verses 13 through se- or chapters 13 through 17. There are four days left before the cross of Calvary takes center stage. The events between now and verse 50 are sort of make up time for the four days left in the life of Jesus, okay? So understand that. We're going to see kind of a, okay, this is what Jesus is, 13 through 17. We're going to spend time in, in, in just him pouring out to us personally. And then, of course, the cross in, verses, in chapters 18 through 21 take the center stage. So we're moving and we're rapidly going fast. So that's where we pick up our study this morning in verse 20. Look at me, look at together and it says, now, 
there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. If you're taking note, you can circle the word Greeks because all it means is Gentiles. There were some Gentiles, but Greeks are very important. You go, well, who are they? Okay, I need to know who they are. Well, first of all, they're not Grecian Jews, okay? They're not, they're not Greeks who are Jews. What they are, they're probably Greek proselytes to the Jewish faith. Okay, they are those who will attend the annual feast, particularly in his in, in the, this primary one, the Passover. Uh, you might write down God fearers. They're God fearers. You go, what does that mean? God fearers are just the ones who perhaps converted over to Judaism. They had a heart, right? And they were they're not Jews. Okay, they converted over to Judaism, and yet Jesus is still trying to reach them with the cross of Christ, okay? So they're coming up, and they're wanting to attend the Passover. That's all John tells us. He says, now, there were certain Greeks, okay, non-Jews coming in for the Passover. Now, it says in verse 21, then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they asked him, saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So now you have a group of, of Greeks coming in, Okay, and who do they, they're coming into the Passover, and so they find Philip, okay? They came to Philip, guys, his name means lover of horses, okay? Lover of horses, that's, that's just what his name means. But understand that they probably came to him because that's a Greek name. That's more of a Gentile name. And so they might have felt, well, let's see, if we're coming into, uh, you know, somebody who's uh, primarily, this is a Jewish festival where proselytes were converted into Judaism, but we want to see Yahshua, we want to see Jesus, who could help us see Jesus? Probably somebody who knows us, probably a man like Philip. It's kind of the same Greek name, right? And they're probably thinking, well, he might be more sympathetic to their request. Now, here's what we need to understand, okay? Culturally, most Jews would look with disdain upon a Gentile, okay? They weren't BFF in any sense of the word, okay? They did not like them. They would call him Goy, G-U-I. Goy was the lowest form of contempt. So a Jew would look at a Gentile. As a matter of fact, they thought in certain circles that the Gentiles were simply created to keep the fires of hell burning, that's what they thought. And so again, you have these Greeks, these Gentiles coming in for the feast. Many of them would look at them and with their smug nose and be like, hmm. Others would be like, yuck, right? So they find Philip because they're thinking, man, maybe Philip will be sympathetic to our cause, right? These Gentiles probably realized that this, that, that, man, we feel oppressed, and we thought, if anyone's going to listen to us, it's probably going to be, well, it's going to be more like Philip, because he's got a Greek name, Philip, right? And, and so that's, that's kind of what they might... Another possibility, right? I want to give you both possibilities. Another school of thought is that they knew Philip from his hometown, and they knew, they knew him, and so they came in. They're like, hey, let's, Philip is up from Bethsaida. That's the upper Galilee. Let's go talk to Philip. Philip might, you know, he might, he might squeeze us in. He might get to see Jesus. That's what we want to see. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, again, notice what they're asking. Sir, we wish or we would to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Now, that's, that's the question, right? They're coming in, Passover lamb. They know the feast is coming, and they come to Philip, and here's their question. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
And I have to stop in the midst of our Bible study. I've got to ask the question, right? What, what is it that motivated them to, to want to see Jesus? Right? What was their motivation? I'm thinking, was it because, right, they, the cheers of the crowd as this rabbi made his way to Jerusalem? Hey, what's that? Well, that's Joshua. I want to see him. I've, I've heard some things. What was their motivation? Maybe it simply was Greek curiosity. They're just curious. Maybe it was because there, they, there was this deep desire on their own part to know the truth, not only about Jesus, but about themselves. That's a good way and motivation for Jesus. You know, was it from an inner longing or a deep hunger to know God? Think about it. It's the same same, same scenario we have today. There are a lot of people, guys, who, who want to see Jesus, but I want to know what their motivation is for seeking Jesus. You go, what do you mean? Well, I, I mean, a lot of it might be, you know, people hear the stories about Jesus. They hear, this is what God has done in my life. They see your life Okay, as a disciple, and they say, man, that's changed. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Maybe it's just a fact, guys, that uh, they were just curious. They were just curious. But here's what we know. The Bible tells us that, that God has put eternity in our hearts. You go, what does that mean? Every person that is born has created with a God-shaped hole that can only be filled with God. And what we do in our lives, church, listen, what we do in our lives is we try to fill it with everything else in in a way to find satisfaction. We'll try to fill it with relationships. We'll try to fill it with alcohol. We can try to fill it with uh, whatever it might be. It might be a hobby that you try to fill it in. It might be with something that you keep trying to stuff that hole that only God can fill. And, and, and so, again, I believe that it was a longing and a deep hunger to know God. Now, now listen, listen. The Greeks here, think about it, guys. They become a type and picture of all human beings in their urge or desire to know God. You see, a few decades later, the Apostle Paul would address a group of Greek philosophers on their own turf, and he'll remind them, we find this story in Acts chapter 17, 26 and 27, he tells them this, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find them, though he was not far from any one of us. So you see, the Apostle Paul was urging and saying, there are going to be people who continually seek after the Lord. Here's a little side note. Listen, you may think that your friend at work or at school or wherever it might be is not looking for Jesus, but in fact, they are. They are. You see, here's what they're looking at the, in, for Jesus in your life. They're looking for the solid truth of who he is. The solid truth. You go, how so? I was sitting last night, and uh, we were watching a documentary on 2020. It was about Charles Manson, right? The whole Charles Manson back in the 60s, the whole thing, right? Now, Charles Manson died last year, November, but they showed the whole, the whole story. And you know what? You know what the girls and the whole cult, following of Charles Manson's was, they, they, they thought he had the truth. Oh, he's very charismatic, but they, they said he was giving us truth. See, and I think a lot of people will look at our lives, and when they spot hypocrisy in our hearts, 
That's not the truth. The truth of the matter is that we want to live the very best we can, the very best life for God. And when we stumble, we can get up and go, oh, I fell. I'm sorry. Instead of pretending that we never fell. That's exactly what's going on, right? That's what Paul says. We have this desire. Why would anyone want to seek Jesus? Why would anyone, sir, we wish to see Jesus? Well, I heard J. Vernon McGee say something like this. People keep saying, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. My friend, it all depends on the question. Why would you want to see Jesus? By every measure, Jesus is the most compelling human being to ever exist on the planet Earth. Socrates taught for 40 years. Plato for 50. Aristotle for 40. Jesus taught for only three years. J. Vernon McGee says, the answer to what the soul longs for is this, the fulfillment of human hopes and the realization of human desires, right? So they're coming and they're asking this question, sir, we wish to see Jesus. I think that's a question, guys, that a lot of people may ask in their hearts when they get around Christians. That they wish to see Jesus. You see, when we invited Jesus into our heart, it was not only for our salvation, but remember, so that you and I, so that you and I could be the light in a dark world and that people would see Jesus. And that is the hardest thing to do. That's the hardest thing to do. How do we show Jesus? First and foremost, we love out loud, don't we? We love out loud. We do things that that go against our grain. You go, how so? Could you imagine, for just a moment, could you imagine you driving in a hospital parking lot? You're going to visit a friend, and you know that it's packed. You know the parking lots are always packed. And so there you are driving, and you're going around, and all of a sudden, you spot, okay, and, and you've got your blinker on, and you're ready to go. That's my spot, okay. And all of a sudden, somebody pulls in right in front of you. You have a choice. Are you going to love out loud or are you going to get out, right? So you roll down the window and you say, excuse me, I was waiting for that park, parking lot where the lady and the little girl says, so? We don't care. And they keep walking with smug. And so immediately you pray. Immediately you pray and you say, God, please don't let me just wring her neck. I'm just going to kill her. And he reminds you that you represent him. And people want to see the truth. And so you get out of your car because you're carrying, a, you're carrying some books, you're carrying some gifts, whatever it might be. And you go and you take this and you leave it on the car. You leave it on the window of the car. She sees you. She comes back. Here's the point. The point is, are we going to love out loud? Because it goes against the grain. We, we, we go, hey, I've been violated. I have been, I have been hurt. Look what you've done. I'm, I'm, I don't understand. But instead of, you see, people want to see the truth. And, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Well, these people had the same feeling. They came to Philip, and verse 22 says, Philip came, and he told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, Andrew and Philip, their names are both Greek names in origin, so they take the request. Now, here's what I want you to see in verse 22, Okay. Uh, we wish we had more details. Why would they go to Philip? Philip go to Andrew? We have no idea. We know that, that um, basically 
John has just given us snapshots of the deity of Jesus. All we know is they both went to Jesus with their request, okay? So Philip and Andrew, Jesus, hey, there's some Gentiles, there's some Greeks, they want to see you, they want to get to know you. And uh, notice how Jesus responds, verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, we need to stop right there because here's what I want to encourage you with, church. There are times when you ask the Lord a specific question and he answers you abstractly and you have no idea why. Lord, should I step off this? Should I step off this platform? And made the sun has, you know, I mean, he gives you something and you're like, that's not what I asked. Just write it in the sky. What we need to do is take a step back, guys, breathe and understand that Jesus has a, a purpose for everything we ask. Okay. So, so again, Jesus said, listen, the hour has come, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus, that's not what we asked you. We asked you, you know what, these Greeks want to see you, but, but here's, let's break it down, guys. Let's, let's chat for just a moment. At least twice before, Jesus said at that time that his time was not ready. Do you guys remember that? In John chapter 2, verse 4, and John chapter 7, verse 6. He took this seeking interest of the Gentiles, probably the signal that now said, now, now's the time, now I'm going to be glorified. The fact that his hour had not yet come and delivered him from violence, you guys remember that? He says, my hour has not come. People are picking up rocks to stone him, and he simply walks away because his hour has not come. Now he looks and he looks and he looks at, at, at his disciples, you and I, and he says, my hour has come. My hour's come. Before, it's like, my hour hasn't come. Let's get out of here. We're going to go. We still got some ministry to do. And now he says, my hour has come. My hour has come. It's time for Jesus to make the final sacrifice. Well, that leaves us with a question, doesn't it, church? You go, what's that? Well, hey, did, these, did Jesus ever see these men? <laughs> we, don't, we don't know because John doesn't tell us. But here's what we can, here's what we can d- learn, right? We're left with the impression that he probably did not see them at this point. He probably didn't see him, right? The answer, the answer was really simple that he gives to Andrew and Philip is, the hour has come, guys. I'm gonna, we're heading to my, my sacrifice so that the Son of Man should be glorified, right? The hour. Jesus has in mind that he should be glorified is completely different from what most observant Jews, right, uh, would have understood. He, they went, what do you mean your hour? I'm not sure what you're talking about, right? The hour is the hour of his death, as the next verse clearly shows in the whole passage points, okay? So he's, he's going, okay, my hour has come. And they're going, well, I'm not sure what that means. Does it mean for you to stand up and proclaim that you're the king? Is it, is it I mean, what's going to happen? Are you going to send lightning bolts down, God? What is it? And he's going, no, 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 you need to understand that, that for the Son of Man to be glorified, he has to go to the cross, he has to go to the cross. If you're taking note, guys, and you like to write up in your Bible, the hour has come. Do you guys see that right there? My hour has come. The word come there is, is, a, is the verb, is come, is in the perfect tense. And the hour has come, it means and stays with us. In other words, he says there's no going back. When he says this is it, this is it. We're not, we're not, moved, we're not going down to Galilee. We're not going to go hang out at Capernaum. My hour has and is this is it. 
No turning back. No turn. You know that song that Josh sings from time to time, you know? The cross before us, the world behind us, no turning back, no turning back. That's kind of the same implication, right? There's no turning back. This is it. We're not going back. We're not going back into the world. No turning back, no turning back. And so, of course, they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Well, how does Jesus respond? Well, here's what we need to understand. He responds with the three paradoxes I gave you concerning the cross and our lives, okay? So he's going to talk about, we, we make, make, make no note of it, he's going, to, he's going to talk about what? He's going to talk about his life, but we can apply it. Notice verse 24. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, okay, you guys ready? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Wait a minute. We just asked if we could see Jesus, and now you're giving us this paradox. Lord, could you explain? Well, he's saying, just as a seed will never become a plant unless it dies, it is buried so the death burial of Jesus was necessary for his glorification. Before there can be any resurrection power and fruitfulness, there must be death. That's what he's saying, right? I, I could come up here this morning and, and I could have a pack of, of seeds and I could say, hey, guys, look at this. Look at my flowers. Aren't they beautiful? And you go, Ben, you're nuts. Those aren't flowers. Those are seeds. Seeds have to go into the ground in order to produce flowers. That's what Jesus is saying, okay? Well, notice it again. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. That's, he, again, think about it. We're his disciples and we have no clue what's going to happen in four days, but he's telling us. He's telling us, and we have to be clear. Why? Because verse 24 suggests in a, in a metaphorical language the Lord's own death and effectiveness, right? He is the grain of wheat about to fall into the ground in death and burial. But because of his death, multitudes of every tribe and tongue and nation will come forth. See, he says that. That's what's happening. Now, you go, well, what, how, how can this apply to my life? Okay, Pastor? Well, okay, well, number one, guys, it's by dying to sin through repentance and total surrender to Christ that we gain eternal life in God. That's why he says you must be born again. Remember, our goal is, again, we're going to die to sin. We're going to die to sin through what? Through repentance. Repentance and a total surrender. That's a great application. You go, what else? Well, it's only when we're buried, our own personal aims and ambitions, that we begin to be uh, of real use to God. That goes against the grain because, church, listen, we're taught you got you to gotta make something in your life. You got to climb that corporate ladder. You got to be something. You got to, and, and here's what the Lord says. The paradox is really simple. He says, guys, when we surrender our, our selfish ambitions and what we want and, and, and what we think we should be, it's only that that's when God comes in and, and you could be of real use. It's by, it's by death of our own personal desires and ambition that we become a servant of God. It's by surrendering our own ways to God's way that we become fruitful and effective to God. Now, here's what I want you to see real quick, okay? I want you to see this. A lot of times, here's what the enemy says. The enemy will come to you and say, that's a good deal. That's a, that's a great plan. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bury you. 
I'm going to bury you with life's problems. I'm going to bury you with your emotions. I'm going to bury you with all of these things. I'm going to bury you with drama and all this stuff. But what we need to understand is what Jesus says is, yeah, it's going to be buried, but I'm not so much, I'm not so much sure buried as it is planted. You see, when you're buried, nothing can come up. When you're planted, you just need to wait. You just need to wait. Yesterday, when I was praying with Ada, I was just, I was just encouraging her that, listen, right now she feels buried. Everything around her feels buried, but she's just planted. God's going to do something. And so many times we take our eyes off God and we look at the circumstances and they seem hopeless and helpless, don't they? In people's lives. What are you doing here? How can this be? Oh, I would never be that, you know, and that's not what we're called to do. We're called to love people back to life. It doesn't matter who they are. We're called to love people to the place where they can, where they can see God in my life. And when people, guys, no matter what color of skin they are, no matter who, what background they are, when people come to you, they're struggling with the same things you struggle with. And the one thing we don't want to do is ever is go, well, I would never struggle with that. You know what I say? Amen. Amen. If it were not for the grace of God, I could be right there. I could be right there. But what I want you to understand is that, guys, you're not, you're not buried, you're planted. And, 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 and through the water of the word and through the sunshine of the Holy Spirit, you're going to bloom and it's going to be something incredible. But you have to allow yourself. There's not a seed that goes in the ground that says, no, 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 don't put me in there. Don't put me in. I'm, I'm going to bloom here. Just There's not a seed that does that. It goes in, it's quiet, its selfish ambitions are gone, and then God does the growing. God does the growing. That's the first one. Number two. Number two, it's only by spending your life you can retain it. Look at verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's what he's saying. The man who loves his life is moved by two aims. You ready? Jot this down. By selfishness and by the desire for security. Not once or twice, but many times Jesus insisted the man who hoarded his life must in the end lose it. And the man who spent his life must in the, in the end gain it again. We've heard that a lot of times. Let me read it to you again. He says, he who loves his life is going to lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I find it interesting because um, I was sitting yesterday and uh, I, I call it lessons from a four-year-old. Okay, God lessons from a four-year-old because yesterday in the afternoon, I was playing Barbies with my four-year-old granddaughters. Yes, I have my own Barbies, okay? Don't judge me. And so we were playing, and I've got to tell you, I'm sitting on the floor, and, and Cordelia's toys are all over. She's probably got like 150 Barbies, probably. I'm exaggerating, and, and it's her grandma that spoils her. I'm just going to say that right out. And <laughs> exactly. And so I start, I start a life lesson. I say, Cordelia, listen, sweetie, um, you have a lot of toys. Um, I'm going to go to the store a little bit later on. I've got to get some groceries. And Cordelia says, Grandpa, I want to go with you. Why do you want to go with me? He says, so you could buy me a toy. And I said, well, you have a lot of toys here. Now, I'll make a deal with you. If you get rid of some of your toys, like give them to kids that need some, okay, give them to some that need some, then you'll get more. But Grandpa, I don't want to get rid of my toys. I play with them. 
I said, well, pick something that you don't play with. You don't do, and, and she, I mean, we're having this debate, right? Is this going to, today, do I have to do this? Well, just pick something. This is a heart issue. He said, this is a heart issue, and, and I want to see your heart. Listen, if you're ready to give some, then you can get some more. God is going to bless you with more. And she goes, well, Grandpa, I know what I could give. Oh, good. He said, what is it? And she, put, she picked up a slinky, a half-broken slinky, okay? Uh, <laughs> and she goes, I could give this one. And I said, okay, well, that's a start. Good, good. And so she looked at it, and she goes, no, never mind. And she put it over here, and she put it back. And, and, and this verse kept coming to mind. She kept, and, and, I, and I said, well, okay, that's fine. You can keep all that you have, but you might not get more in the future because it's a heart issue. And then this four-year-old has the audacity to turn it on me. She goes, what are you going to give away, Grandpa? <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? I don't, there's not a lot that I have. And she is so stinking smart. She goes, you have a lot of shoes. And I was just like, you go, what's the point, Pastor? I was schooled by a four-year-old. But it's the same concept, isn't it? It's the same. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. He who loves his life, I'm going to hold on to it. I don't care if it's a broken slinky or a broken doll or whatever. These are mine. This is mine. He says, he says you're going to lose it. He says, but he who hates his life in this world. Guys, he who says, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of it, man. I'm going, to, I'm going to sacrifice it for the Lord. It, it belongs to him. He says, not only are you going to have it, you're going to have life and life more abundantly. And sometimes we hold on to this life thinking, that's enough. That's enough. I'll just hold on. I'm just going to hold on. I'm just going to hold on. And God goes, man, I have so much. Right. Think about it. This four-year-old doesn't know that grandpa has a lot more for her. But as long as she holds on to her toy, she thinks, I've got enough. I've got enough. And it's the same thing with God, right? You go, listen, Lord, my life is yours. And he's going to give it to you a life that you could never, ever, ever get on your own or imagine. Only God's economy is a little bit different than ours. God wants to give us ministry, and he wants us to love on people who need loving. He wants us to cry with those who are broken. He wants to bless us with food. He wants to, he wants to do all this, but, but we can't be selfish. You see, my granddaughter's toys were both, her, were, were both selfishness and her security. And if she would just let go of that, you know that she would be blessed beyond. Beyond. Pastor, what's the application? Here it is. People usually choose personal safety and avoid risk. But it's by taking risk of being called Christians and ridiculed for the same faith that we can retain life with God. Guys, what are we saying? Here's what I want you to see. If you get nothing else out of this message, guys, I want us to be, I want us to be a church that gets out of the boat. Take risks. Oh God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Here's the interesting part, right? We say, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go out to 10 City Outreach and we're going to minister. They minister to us. They bless us. How many one of us would be going, right? We miss a meal and we're upset. 
I didn't have dinner last night. You're going, these people are going, praise the Lord. Oh, God, praise God. I, and you're just going, man, I'm such a heathen. I, I need to just go back and I need to repent. I need to get saved. I mean, because they minister to us. We need to step out of the boat. Number two, people avoid danger and persecution so they can choose what is generally accepted. But it's by living and dying for Christ that we can really gain eternal life. One of our core values, guys, is what? Is to live radically. That's what it means. Is to step out, to love out loud, to be different. Here's, here's what Lubbock doesn't need. Lubbock doesn't need another church of mediocre Christians. Lubbock needs, Lubbock needs people who are going to show the truth and love out loud and live radically and have no clue what's going on, but Jesus is walking with you. That's what we need. You might be ridiculed by your friends. They might call you a Jesus freak. They might say that you're, you know, you're dumb. Why do you do that? You know what? Listen, it's going to be far better at the end. Why? Because God's going to just, he's going to give you your life back. Number three, it's only by serving that greatness comes. Verse 26, if anyone, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor, will honor. Guys, to be a Christian means that you have to serve Jesus. Listen, you cannot be a Christian and say, I don't serve God. I don't serve the Lord. To be a Christian means you need to serve Jesus and to follow him. Now, it doesn't mean that you got to stop working your job or caring for your family or studying at school. We learned that last week, right? Right. Because how you smell is you should smell like Jesus, right? You come home, a long day work, you're, you're going to provide for your family, right? So the Lord's not going, quit smelling like me, quit providing for your family and go into ministry full time. He's saying this. He's saying this. You ready? He's saying it means that all you that that you do all that is a servant of Jesus as a follower of Jesus, right? It means you do all that as a servant of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. You go to work, you're a follower of Jesus. Make, people should not be confused with your morality. Oh, you're a moral guy. You don't drink. You don't cuss. You don't smoke. Ah, you're a nice guy. You must. Your, your parents must have did a good job raising you. Make no. We don't want them to make a mistake. We go. No, I am all of that. The reason I'm this way is because Christ has come into my heart, and He saved me. I'm not going to push my religion on anybody. I'm simply going to live my life so that you see Jesus in me. That's all. People are going to trip because I'm, I'm so happy all the time. People are going to trip because you're just joyful. People are going to trip because they're like, that's not who you were. I think it was Stephen that said on, on Wednesday, guys, and if you missed it, listen to the podcast. But he said, you know what? We want to we make sure that we leave this life with no regrets. You know, I wish I should have, could have, would have done. One of the things that got me on Stephen's teaching was he says that, that, that the hospice nurse said that one of the things that was said was basically that you could be happy. I'm messing it up, but it's, it's basically that you had a choice. You could, you could be happy. And a lot of us are walking around and they're saying, I didn't know I could be happy. You didn't? No, because the world kept bombarding and 
What's the application? Guys, people aim for the throne, but it's through the feet of the cross that greatness starts. You see, people trick and deceive others to be a number one, but it's by loving others and thinking of their welfare that you be, we become great. You know, what does that mean? Okay, starting tomorrow at your jobs and your schools and anywhere we go, guys, our job is to, to love others and think of them higher than us. You go, that's tomorrow, right? Because when I go to lunch and somebody gets in front of me, I'm going to hit them in the nose. I mean, that's just, that's it, guys. We, we, we think that we have to what? We have to trick and deceive others so that I can be number one. I have to manipulate and I have to do this. And, and listen, it's, it's only by what? What, is, what does he say? It's, guys, it's by serving the Lord that the Lord is going to honor you. We don't honor ourselves. We don't stand up and go, listen to me, folks. I can preach. Praise God. And I don't know what God would do without me if I went, you know. The Lord says, just serve him. Just serve him. Love people and watch what he'll do. Watch what he'll do. I am, I am blown away of the opportunities that God has given me to be able to minister around the country. I'm blown away. Why? Because I'm nobody. And I get to stand in front of you people whom I love, and I get to stand in front of 5,000 people and preach the gospel. I get, to, I get to share. See, the Lord will do that. The Lord will do that. People tend to become proud once they got money and power. But those who found real power in God become humble as they found their nothingness without God. Right? The people whom the world remembers with love are the people who served others. Now, I'm going to close with this because we're running out of time, but can I just say this real quick about being a servant? Everybody wants to be a servant until you're treated like one. Everybody wants to be a servant until you're treated like one. And when somebody comes and they treat you like a servant, we get upset and we go, I can't believe this. Why would you say that? And, and, and we serve for the pats on the back and we serve so that uh, men can see. And what God is telling us, guys, is that when it comes to serving, listen, it's, it's a humble and it's a God, I'm doing it for you, an audience of one. If Pastor Ben sees me serving, sweeping the parking lot, doing whatever, that doesn't mean anything. Praise God. Hey, praise God. Thank you, sir. But more importantly, it's an audience of one and God going, that's, that's my servant. That's my servant right there. That's my servant. Jesus came to the Jews with a new view of life, didn't he? He gave us those paradoxes. They looked on his glory as a conquest and acquisition of power, the right to rule, he looked on it as a cross. He taught men that only by death comes life. And only by spending life do we retain it. And it's only by service we become great. And the extraordinary thing, when we come to think of it, Christ's paradox 
is nothing other than the truth of common sense. I want to close with this poem, guys. Listen to the words and apply them to your life. He says, I counted dollars while God counted crosses. I counted gains while he counted losses. I counted my worth by the things gained in store, but he sized me up with the scars that I bore. He coveted honors and sought for degrees. I did. He wept as he counted the hours on my knees. And I never knew till one day at the grave how vain these things that life, the things that that spend life to save. I did not know until my loved one went above that the richest is he who is rich in God's love. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love. We thank you, God. Sir, we wish to see Jesus in every one of our hearts, God. May we walk, may we live, may we shine. May the world see Jesus in our heart. May we be kind to our wives. May we be gentle with our children. May we be loving to those who have no love. May we be a family to those that are family that have no family. May we be extraordinary nice, Lord, to the waitress or the waiter who prepare our food. May we love on the student that has no family. And and Lord, may we love the homeless who've had just a, a, a rough patch in life. We're not better than them. serve you all the days of our lives, Lord. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.